At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Good morning. We are in Romans chapter 6. So great to worship with you today. As you head over to Romans chapter 6, let me just say we're so grateful for our teams at Woodside of the work to, uh, to just make things, improvements on how it is that we do church live. And so these improvements to the website are going to help us all. So I'd encourage you to go check out the website on your device, on your computer. Um, and I think this new feature of finding the things that we talk about on the weekends uh, there so that in case you didn't catch it or you weren't able to be here or whatever, you can still stay connected, get the information that you need. Okay, Romans chapter 6. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and King, every word in Romans is for our deliverance, for our joy, for our faith, for our love, our love for you to grow, our love for others to increase. Can we mine the gold out of this book? No, no, unless your spirit enables us. So Spirit of God, you love God's people and you love to make Jesus look radiant and be exalted. And so come, come now and open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts. Humble us before this word. Allow me to do justice to this precious word. Give me a strong voice. Remove all distractions from us, external, internal, that we may make the most of this precious hour of worship. It's in the name of the King, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Romans 6, verse 8, the apostle writes, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. The word of the Lord. The first conflict I remember having with my dad when I was 18 years old and I moved in with him took place because I came home really late after 1 a.m., which now that I'm a dad was not cool at all, you know? <laughs> and there were cell phones or anything, like I could text him, right? And so the next morning before he left for work, he confronted me. He asked, where were you last night? Now, the answer I gave him uh, actually made the original conflict of my coming home so late utterly harmless. You know, it was forgotten. I should say here that my dad has never been a Christian. He's more of an atheist, agnostic. He has no use for the church. I would say that he's neither friendly nor antagonistic toward the church. And so when he asked, where were you last night? I said, 
I was getting baptized. And he looked and he looked at me with a mixture of anger and surprise. And because he had to leave for work, he said, we will talk about this later on. But I didn't care because I was so excited about what was happening to me because just a week before, two neighbors had invited me to study the Bible with them. I had never done this. And over the course of those seven days, we had looked at over 100 scriptures. I had gone to church twice with them already. I had never been to church before. And I had decided, as the song says, to follow Jesus. I was not turning back. My baptism was powerful, as is every baptism. Because you see, just two months before, my whole life took place in a different country. So I thought that the big change that was coming to my life was the transfer from Colombia to America. When in reality, what God was doing was he was transferring me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. Remember from last week, we're baptized into Christ. And so from that very day, this new life began to grow in my life, in me, but it was not easy at all. You know, because I remember every week, I remember I would claw, and I just mean I would claw my way to Sunday church, and the service would put all this spiritual oxygen into me. Because throughout the week, I had experienced major emotional and mental and spiritual turmoil, doubt, sadness, temptation. I felt weak. I felt harassed. But on Sunday, through the songs, through the community, through the preaching, I begin to reaffirm my citizenship as a member of God's kingdom. All was well on Sunday. Except the next week, the same cycle of turmoil would start again. And this went on for a while. The book of Exodus tells us the birth of the nation of Israel. How God brought the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery by a mighty hand. And so God sends Moses to the Hebrew people and to the Pharaoh who refuses to let the people go. And so God sends plague after plague, bringing the nation to the brink of utter ruin. Until finally the Pharaoh relents and lets the people go. And so they leave. But then Pharaoh changes his mind. You know the story. He gathers 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. And he goes after Israel, who by now was caught between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. And so Israel begins to freak out. They're gripped with fear and they turn against Moses. And they say to him, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the wilderness to die? Did we tell you to leave us alone in Egypt? Because it's better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So do you see what's happening to them? They're gripped with fear. And all they can think about is their old life. Egypt was better. It was better for us to serve the Egyptians. Leave us in Egypt. So they feel harassed by Pharaoh and they turn against God. And I submit to you that that's how many people live the Christian life. We live as if sin still had power over our lives, as if we had not been baptized into Christ and thus into his death, which means that we are dead to sin. We feel harassed. We live harassed by sin, and so we turn against God. 
We see ourselves like Israel, caught between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. But in reality, the Christian life is to be lived from a different text, not that text, from a different text that comes just a few verses later in Exodus. Because you remember, Israel is right there in the midst, water on one side, this intense army on the other. They have no weapons. But then God opens the waters and Israel walks through as on dry ground, and then God brings the waters together over the Egyptians when they attempt to cross, and they drown. And from the other side of the sea, Israel begins to celebrate God's great deliverance with great songs of joy. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its chariot he has thrown into the sea. That is the battle that as a young Christian, I was acutely engaged in. I didn't fully understand what had happened to me, what Christ had done to me by his life, death, and resurrection, and my baptism into him. And so I felt harassed day by day by sin, by my old life. And I'm sure many of you feel that tug, that battle. And that's precisely what Paul is helping us understand in this text today. Sin is a power that seeks to master you. Sin is a power that seeks to master you. If you're in Christ, sin has no jurisdiction over your life. All its power is gone. The rightful king is in on the throne of your life now. But even defeated forces try to launch guerrilla counterattacks. And that's what sin does in the life of the Christian relentlessly. And so the question for us today is this, how do we escape the assault of sin? How do we escape the assault of sin First, know that Christ will never die again. That's our first thing. Look at verse eight. This is so good, you guys. I am praying. Listen, I asked a 10-year-old after nine o'clock, tell me what you learned today. And he told me the whole sermon. Okay? So this is gonna help you. I mean, he was so clear on it. So here we go. This is gonna help you. Romans 6, verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Man, Paul continues to work out the implications of our union with Christ. That's what Romans is all about, is understanding our union with Christ. And so in verse 8, he says, Now if we have died with Christ, when did we die with Christ? How did we die with Christ? Remember? In our baptism. Now remember, we saw this last week, but really fast, that... Conversion entails our faith in Christ. By faith, we are united to him. But it entails faith and repentance and baptism and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. All of those things happened, as we see in the pages of the New Testament, many times on the same day. So the biblical writers refer to our conversion by any of those terms, implying the rest. Faith is what unites us to Christ. 
But Paul tells us here that we, we die with him when in our baptism, verse three, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So we died with him and because we die with him, he says, we believe, we believe that we will also live with him. You see, when I was a young Christian, that was not an active belief animating my day-to-day life. My old life still occupied far too much mental and emotional space for me. But what Paul says here is that because we die with him, we believe that we also will live with him. See, the gospel is powerful because it transforms our thought patterns when it transforms our thought patterns. And then in verse 9, he says, we know. That's another word, knowledge. So he said, we believe. Now he says, we know. What do we know? That Christ will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. How do we know that death has no longer any dominion over him? Because he rose from the dead. Remember that Adam introduced sin and death into the world. And no nation, no corporation, no person can do anything about those two realities. Jesus, on the other hand, is a different story. He's alive and he will never die again. How come? How do we know that? For, verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Listen, the ultimate weapon of sin is death. Which is why Jesus died to pay the penalty of sin. But death could not hold them even for three whole days. Couldn't do it. Jesus, on the other side of resurrection life, looks back at sin with death as as its weapon and says, is that all you got? He died once and for all. All that sin could exact from Jesus was one death. Barely hold on to him. Done and over. Incredible. And so now the life he lives, he lives to God. Guys, life is more powerful than death. Just as God is more powerful than sin. And so Jesus belongs to the life God side of the equation. The sin death side can't touch him. I mean, we sing about this, right? We sing about this all the time. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. That's what we sing. That's why we sing it. And the amazing thing is that he did that for us. Which leads us to our next point. How do we escape the assault of sin? Count yourself dead to sin. Count yourself dead to sin. So know that Christ will never die again and count yourself dead to sin. Look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul wants our union with Christ 
to make all the difference in the world. And for that to be the case in our lives, in your life, there are some things you need to believe. There are some things you need to know. There are some things you need to reckon or count or consider. What we believe is that since we've died with Christ, we will also live with him. What we know is that Christ, having died once, will never die again. What we reckon, what we count, what we consider is ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Listen to me. If you do not train yourself to believe these things, to know these things, to reckon these things, to love them, then your union with Jesus will do you little good. Imagine that you're a really poor person. And some of you are like, I don't have to imagine anything. I am a really poor person. Yes. And so you're always struggling to pay the bills. You're always having to make a choice. Do I treat myself with a nice meal this week or do I put gas in the car? So there's always anxiety that you carry related to all things money. But imagine also that all along there has been a trust fund of a million dollars in your name. but you didn't know about it. So the money's been there the whole time. It is yours, it's in your name. Stuff like this has happened. All the money's yours, but it did you no good. Why? Because you didn't know about it. Listen, that's what Paul is saying to us. For the riches of glory in Christ that are ours, to benefit us, there are some things we need to believe, some things we need to know, some things we need to reckon. Now that word reckon or count or consider, it's translated all three ways in verse 11 is so important. Look at what he says. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word comes from the realm of bookkeeping or mathematics. Say, for example, that you are a manager at a hospital back in April of this year when the COVID vaccines were first made available to the general public. And so you have long lines of people just lining up eager to take the vaccine. And you have this huge shipment of vaccine that was delivered to you, but someone mixed things up so that you don't know how many doses were delivered to you. So what's the first thing as a manager that you do? Or you may say, well, I don't believe in the vaccine. That's beside the point. Let's stay with the story. What's the first thing as a manager that you do? The first thing, just divided the room right there. Okay, the first thing that you do is you count them. You count the doses so you know what you have. But, right, so you do a reckoning, you do an accounting. But the count does not, listen to this, the count does not increase or decrease how much vaccine you have. The count simply allows you to know for certain what you already have. And that's what Paul is saying here. You need to count yourself dead to sin. You need to reckon yourself dead to sin. What he doesn't mean is you need to hope that you're dead to sin, even though you really aren't. 
You need to make believe that you're dead to sin, even though that's not really true. That is not what he's saying. He's saying you are dead to sin in Christ Jesus. And for that to bless you, for that to benefit you, you need to reckon yourself as such. This matters because in our culture, there is a popular ideology of positive thinking. Positive thinking. How many of you have heard about positive thinking? Come on, let me see hands. More of you have heard about this. Come on. Positive thinking. Right, so positive thinking is so popular. Here's how positive thinking goes. If I think something, I can make it true. Right? If I think something, I can make it real. If I think that God's going to give me lots of money, God will give me lots of money. Listen, there are many so-called Christian churches that are all about positive thinking. And if you find one online or in person, run for the hills. Just run for your life, okay? It is not going to help you at all. Paul here is not talking about positive thinking. Paul is talking about gospel thinking. Night and day. Listen, night and day. Positive thinking and gospel thinking, night and day. Here's what positive thinking says. If I think something, I can make it true. What gospel thinking says is, this is true, therefore think it. Do you see the difference? This is so different. Do not miss this. This is true because of who God is. There are thousands upon thousands of promises and truths and scripture from God that we know to be true. You are dead to sin because of what Christ did historically on that cross. You are dead to sin. Therefore, think it, believe it, know it, act like it. Do you see the difference? That alone was worth the price of coming in today. Because it's going to change how your brain is wired if you truly embrace that. And this leads to our last point. How do we escape the assault of sin? Present yourself to God. So know that Christ will never die again. Count yourself dead to sin because that is true in Christ. And now you need to present yourself to God. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Guys, I doubt that there have been verses that have been more helpful to me practically in the battle against sin than these two. So if the person next to you has been sleeping, this is where you wake them up, okay? Just gently, you know, just gently. Why have these verses been so helpful to me? First of all, because they make crystal clear today's big idea that sin is a power that seeks to master you. You see, early on in my Christian life, the only way that I thought of sin was that something wrong I did. I lied. I looked lustfully at a woman. I hoarded my goods. So who was doing all of those things? I was, which is true on one level, absolutely true. But the deeper level that Paul in verse 12 is unveiling for us is that sin is this power that wants to rule us that wants to control us, that wants to exert sovereignty over us. 
That's what he's letting us know here that is amazing. You see, sin for the Christian is like Pharaoh after Israel. The rightful king has shown up. God has come. The people are free. But Pharaoh still harasses them. Pharaoh still comes after them. Pharaoh still fills them with fear. When someone has an affair, they may think that they're in control, which they are, again, at one level. But at a deeper level, sin is laughing at them because it has them in its grip. And so Paul says here, do not let sin reign, have dominion over your mortal body. That was the first thing that was super helpful to me, is just to be able to see that sin is not just stuff that I do that is wrong. Sin is a power unleashed in the world from the time of Adam that seeks to master you. And apart from Christ, it wins every time. That was the first thing. Number two, the second thing that was so helpful to me is that Paul shows us here how sin takes captive the members of my body to do its will. You see, the way that sin works, surprise, surprise, is through our bodies. Let's walk through it. Look at verse 13. Pay careful attention to what he's saying. Do not present, so you Christian, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So sin is like Pharaoh, a tyrant, and he seeks to subjugate our mortal body, this. And the way that he does it, the way that he does that is through our members, the members of our bodies. So our brain, our eyes, our lips, our hands, our sexual organs, that's how he does it. Do you see what he says in verse 12, uh, 13? He says, do not present your members, which is the parts of your body, to sin as instruments. Do you see that? As instruments. That's a word in the Greek for a weapon of war or a tool. So this is very helpful. So what he's saying is that the members of our body can be turned into weapons, into instruments for unrighteousness. But they can also be turned into weapons, into instruments for righteousness, depending on who we're serving. Are we serving sin or are we serving God? So that was another thing that was super helpful to me is that sin uses my very own body to turn against me and lead me to death. That was very helpful. The third thing that was so helpful to me is that in this passage, I get to decide what kind of weapons my, the members of my body are gonna become. I get to decide that I am not a victim. I've counseled, I've talked to people before about their struggle against sin. And in a moment of weakness or hopelessness, they'll say something like, well, do you think it's easy? Like, no, who said anything about easy? But in Christ, we do have the power to say no. Look at verse 12. Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Do you see? You decide. You decide. So often we're like, oh, I just can't help it. I just can't help it. I just, I'm here and everything's great. And all of a sudden, oh gosh, look what I did. That is not what Paul says. You need to slow it down. Slow it down. What he says is, no, you get to decide whether sin will rule over your body. Look at verse 13. He says, 
do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. There again, you decide who your members, who your body will serve, God or sin. You guys, this is, this is some of the amazing, miraculous news of the gospel. Because someone who doesn't have Jesus doesn't have this choice. We'll see this more in depth in Romans 8. They can only sin. They owe a debt to sin that has not been paid. They're under obligation to sin, which only accrues, increases their guilt before God. There is no blood of the lamb that has released them from the rule of sin. And I hope that as we're talking about these things, gratitude in your heart for Jesus, for his freeing our will, making us able to say no to the tyrant of sin is welling up in you. Is it welling up in you? Yes, because this is what he's done. He has freed us to be able to say yes to righteousness, yes to holiness. So those are the three things that were so helpful to me about these two verses. Sin is a power that hates me. Sin uses my very own body to enslave me. And in Christ, I get to decide whether and what parts of my body I will surrender to sin. Unbelievers do not get that choice. So here's the question. If sin is so horrible that it leads to death, how come that we willingly surrender our bodies to it? Like, how does that insanity happen? And the answer is our desires, our passions, the things that we most deeply want. Did you see in verse 12? He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, here it is, to make you obey its passions. That word passions is often translated desire. It's one of the main words for desire in the New Testament. And listen, listen to this. Desire is a good thing, can be a good thing. Desire is not necessarily sinful. It can become sinful and this passage explains the whole process of how this works, but it doesn't have to be. So what we're going to do now is we're going to work out these things that we've been learning through some examples, because I really want this to be transformative for you. If you, if you come out of this study from Romans, the same person you were 10 weeks ago, five weeks ago, we failed. We failed. None of us should be at the end of November the same person that we were. No, no, not when we've been mining this gold. So we're going to work this out through some examples. So here's what Paul has said. Paul has said, because you are united to Christ, you've died with Christ in his death, he has dominion over your life. He is your Lord. Sin has no jurisdiction over your life at all. But sin still hangs around like a whiny pimp trying to lure you back into his business. Will you take some clients? But you, Christian, get to decide whether your body will serve sin or God. You get to decide the outcome of your life, wickedness or righteousness. So let's take drunkenness, for example. I've counseled people who've had a very hard time with alcohol, and I've used this very verse to help them in that battle. 
Because under the rule of sin, this person will present the members of her body in the process of getting drunk. So she will use her feet to go to the liquor store, and she will use her hands to pay for the drink and to hold the bottle, and she will use her lips to drink it and her tongue to taste it. And the outcome is drunkenness, loss of control, anger, the taking of life in extreme but true cases. Now why? Why would this person do this? What desire has been prompting them to do this? All kinds of desires. Maybe this has been a part of your story. You know what your desire was. Maybe it was just a desire for the feeling of relaxation, less anxiety, peace, peace. It's a great thing to want, peace. But in this case, that desire is under the rule of sin, not under the rule of God. You see, under the rule of God, this same person could be very helped by a passage like Ephesians 5.18, where Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You see what Paul is saying? What Paul is saying is the Spirit of God will give you the same effects that you're seeking from wine. And so under the rule of God, this person will present the members of her body to righteousness. And so now she will use her feet to take her child to the park. And she will use her hands to throw the ball with him. And she will use her lips and her tongue to tell that child how much she loves him. Same desire, right? What's the desire animating all of that? It could still be the same. It could still be a desire to, for uh, some, an afternoon of relaxation with her child, less anxiety, just peace, some peace and fun. Do you see? Same desire, peace. But this time, the desire is under God. Do you see how this works? Let's take sex. Under the rule of sin, this person will present the members of his body in this case, his sexual organs, to the many different partners that he's not in the covenant of marriage with. And the outcome will be sexual immorality, STDs, disregard for what his many encounters are doing to his many partners. Now why? Why would this person do this? What's the operative desire? Well, it could be belonging. It could be the desire to belong, the desire for intimacy. We all have that desire. It's a great desire. But in this case, it's under the rule of sin. Under the rule of God, the same person would now present the members of his body to his covenant spouse, to his wife. And so now, every time they come together sexually, they are reenacting their covenant of marriage. Do you see? Same desire, significance, belonging. But now this desire is under God, under the rule and freedom of God. Let's take career, our vocation. Under the rule of sin, this person will present the members of her body, in this case, her brain, to improve her life, to build a better and bigger life for herself. And the outcome is greed, more money, more status, more comfort. Now why, why would this person do this? What's the desire there? 
a desire for significance. She wants to see her worth, which is a great desire, but it's under the rule of sin. See, under the rule of God, she would present her member, her brain, to others to build them up, to help them out, to build God's church. And the result, the outcome would be generosity. More and more people would be blessed by her thinking, by her many gifts. Do you see? Same desire, significance, worth. But this time the desire is under the rule of God. And you can do this with anything that you are currently enslaved to. This is the wonder of the gospel, you guys, is that in Jesus Christ, we can bring all of our desires under God and say no to sin. That's what we get to do. So ask yourself, ask yourself, what desire is operative whenever you do that thing that you do? What is it? What is that desire, that that void, that longing that leads you down that path? And if you've surrendered your body to sin, ask yourself, why? Why do you believe that you can't get to your desire? You can't get to your longing under the guidance and love of God. We're not victims Jesus did not die for nothing. Verse 14, Paul says, for sin, listen to this, for sin, the 10-year-old got this. He said this to me, for sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Why has it been years and you're still in that place? As if God had not parted the sea at your baptism and liberated you in Christ. Why? Since you are not under law, but under grace, do you live as if sin still has power over your life? As if you have not been baptized into Christ and therefore into his death so that you are dead to sin? Do you allow sin so to harass you that you turn against God and make yourself a weapon? an instrument for wickedness. And if you're not in Christ, if this is all newer to you, maybe you've been around church, but this hasn't made sense to you at the heart level, please keep coming. Please talk to us. We want to help you. We want to love you like those two neighbors loved me and showed me the scriptures and led me to Christ. We want to help you. But for all of us, do not let sin trick you. Don't let sin trick you. It's what it does. We're going to see this more clearly next week, but it's what it does to us. Don't let it trick you. Have you noticed how advertisers are constantly trying to trick us? Have you noticed this? It's just, I get stuff in the mail all the time that seems to be only about this just stuff you know people are trying to sell me or trick me into needing i mean when was the last time that you got in the mail something that was actually valuable or important to you 
you know, the mail for me has just become gym equipment. That's what it is. Because every day I go in there to a box, I take out a stack of papers like periodicals and magazines and envelopes, and I work out my forearms as I rip it up. I just rip it up. I mean, it's thick, it's hard. I mean, do it. It's, it rip it up and I throw it in the trash every single day. It's like, that's what's gonna help. Here's my workout, you know, like throw it in the trash. Last week, I got an envelope in the mail that said in big font, you may be wealthier than you think. And I was like, really? So I took the envelope and I looked at it and I was like, I don't think so. And I ripped it up, worked on my forearms and threw it in the trash. Yeah. That's what we need to do with sin, you guys. That's what we need to do. When sin says to you, you may be happier than you are right now if you do this, steal this, embellish this, look at this, buy this, smoke this, drink this. Just say, shut up, Pharaoh. Shut up, sin. I am dead to you. I owe you nothing. I will give you nothing. I've been baptized into Christ Jesus. I follow him, and I am not turning back. Can we praise our Lord for his deliverance? Yes. Let's pray. God, we love you. Father, I pray that after this series, no one person in this church would be the same, including me. Father, I pray that Romans would transform us as it's done for millions upon millions upon millions of people and it never, we never get to the bottom of this mine. There is gold to bring up every single time, not just until we die, but then on for all eternity because of what Jesus has done. Because by his death, he says to sin, is that all you've got? Because that did nothing to me and I have destroyed you. And you have no power over my people. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for rescuing us for the, from the Pharaoh that is sin in our lives. We love you. We need you. Father, I pray for anyone here right now who maybe has surrendered the members of their bodies as weapons, as instruments to unrighteousness. Father, would you help them discern the passion, the desire that's operative, the things they're not believing about you, the things they think they can get by sin that actually lead to death, but they're being tricked, they're being duped, they're deceived. Please, God, whether it's our mind, our eyes, whether it's our lips, whether it's our hands, our sexual organs, our feet, Father, whatever it may be, would you shine this spotlight and by the power of the blood of Christ, would you remove it? Would you cleanse it? Would you allow us, lead us in the light, lead us to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, to you in Christ Jesus and just walk away, walk away rejoicing. Not lamenting that, oh, I wish I could do that. No, rejoicing that we are free to say no. And Father, please turn us all 
into instruments, into weapons for righteousness. Oh God, fill this church with people who just cannot wait to be used with all of their might as instruments, as weapons for righteousness, for life. Father, I pray that everyone would remember their baptism. Everyone here would remember the day they said, I follow Jesus and I am not turning back. We love you in Christ's name we pray, amen. Let us stand up and worship him. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.